Today on Know the Truth, a lesson from Philip de Courcy. What a gift life is. What potential every human life holds if they surrendered it up to God and follow the paths of righteousness. They'd be like a tree planted by the water that brings forth its leaf in due season. Welcome to Know the Truth, I'm Wayne Shepherd. We all know Jesus Christ suffered on the cross, but we don't often think of the suffering that Christ continues to endure to this day. And Philip DeCourcy explains now that when the body of Christ suffers, Christ himself suffers. But the suffering of this present age is not to be compared with the glory that awaits us. It's an encouraging message titled, The Suffering Continues, and you'll find resources related to this subject when you visit us online at ktt.org. Now, Let's join Pastor Philip. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 24. I'm going to talk about Jesus' suffering. And we're going to talk about his suffering, finished and unfinished, complete and incomplete. We're going to look at three aspects to his suffering. He suffered as a man. He suffered for man and he suffers from man. The first two are history. The third is ongoing. The first two are finished and complete. The last one is unfinished and incomplete. Let me explain. Keep your Bible open and follow along. Here's the first thought as we think about Christ and his suffering. His suffering as a man is over. And for that, I'm thinking about Hebrews 2, verses 17 to 18. Because there the suffering of Christ is talked about. The Hebrew writer tells us that Jesus, by means of incarnation, he was made flesh and blood. He was made like unto his brethren. Christ was God, but became a man, added humanity to his deity without confusion or corruption. He was fully God, fully man. And as man, he faced temptation. He faced trials. He faced tears. And the Hebrew writer tells us he endured all of that kind of suffering, all of that kind of hardship, so that he might be qualified to be a merciful and faithful friend to you and to me. So his suffering as a man is over, and he's now our great high priest, our constant forever friend. Number two, his suffering for man is finished. His suffering for man is finished. You see, you read the Gospels. The tenor, theme, and focus of the biblical writers is that Christ came to surrender his life and to substitute his life for ours in the suffering of the cross. If you want a summary statement, maybe you're here and you're a seeker. Maybe you're here and you're exploring Christianity. Maybe you're just here out of a kindness to a friend. Welcome. We're so glad you're here. But I want to tell you that you don't leave with any misunderstanding of Christianity. Christianity is not an ethic. Christianity is not a set of rules. Christianity is a story centered upon a person and what he did for you and for me. 
chiefly through dying on the cross and rising from the dead. Matthew 20, 28 tells us, For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. What a beautiful way to live for others. And give His life a ransom for many. That is, give His life on the cross. Surrender His life. Substitute His life in your place and in mine. The heart of Christianity is not Jesus' teaching. It's not Jesus' miracles. It's His death and burial and resurrection. Paul tells us that, 1 Corinthians 15, 1-3. It's a matter of first importance that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. And it's a matter of first importance that you and I believe that He was buried and on the third day rose again. My friend, if you will put your faith where God put your sin, you can be forgiven of all your sin. Jesus' suffering was enough. The shedding of Jesus' blood propitiated and satisfied a holy God. If you'll go to Colossians 2, verse 14, here's what you'll read. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, he took it away, having nailed it to the cross. What an image. Paul has, in fact, that Friday afternoon in mind, that very cross upon which Jesus uttered the sixth word, finished, paid in full. Paul gets the significance of that, and he explains it like this. You know, above the head of a crucified victim was an indictment. Whatever their crime was, whatever debt they must pay to society was written above the cross. Now, Pilate had written above the head of Jesus what? He said he was the king of the Jews. He was messing with the Jews when he did that because they had come earlier in the day and said, you know what, he's offended our laws. He's a blasphemer. He says he's the king of the Jews. We reject him. But above the other two crucified victims that day were indictments, kneeled to the cross. And they were paying their debt to society in their own blood. And Paul is saying, look, I want you to imagine that And I want you to see above the head of Jesus, nailed to the top of his cross, the handwriting against you. What does that mean? That is the list of sins you've committed. All the thoughts that have fallen beneath the glory of God, the failure to love God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, the failure to love your neighbor as yourself, covetous thoughts, blasphemous thoughts not keeping the Sabbath, taking the Lord's name in vain, watching movies where His name is taken in vain. I mean, the list goes on. But the marvel is that list of sins that indict us has been nailed to His cross and He's taken it away. The IOU of your sin has been paid for in the blood of Jesus. Amen? That's why we celebrate Easter. That's why we're going to come in a few minutes and, and celebrate what Jesus Christ has done for us. You know, since coming here in 1994, my family has, has known the love of the American people. We have known the kindness of God's people, especially. Do good unto all men, but especially the house of God. And we have enjoyed that 
in many, many ways. One story, when we came to go to the Master's Seminary in 1994, someone sold us at a next-to-nothing price, a little Honda Accord, and it, it went for a while, but it, you know, it had issues. It was old, I think it had 170,000 miles on it, and once in a while I had to take it into the shop. And there was a car shop at the bottom of Lyons Avenue in Santa Clarita where we lived. And it was owned by a Christian man. I'd been recommended to go there. He was a member of Grace Community, John MacArthur's church. And his name was Jay. And he became a dear friend. And nine times out of 10, when I went to crack the bill and looked at the bottom of it, it just had this stamp on it, Ted. It's a good feeling. <laughs> Ted. You know, Ted in full. He absorbed that price himself. Like God absorbed the suffering that was due us in His Son. In fact, I preached in this word to Telestai a few years ago, and there was a Greek friend in the audience, a wonderful man of God called George Kafalis. And after that, my wife and, and his wife, we went to lunch, and we got to the end, and I was reaching for the bill, and he snatched it out of my hand, and he said, To Telestai. I go, George, that's music to my ears. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the sermon. <laughs> Pay it in full. My friend, Jesus' suffering for man is complete. You don't need to do anything for God to accept you. You just need to throw your arms around the one God loves most of all, His Son, and be amazed at God's love for you in His Son. Let's get to the last point. Suffering from man is incomplete. Now, we're coming back to where we started. Let's go to Colossians 1.24. Listen to these words especially. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. Hold on a moment. What do you mean lacking? Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. What do you mean, Paul, that you're filling up what's lacking in the afflictions of Christ? This is a striking statement, and it's going to bring us back to this thought that the world's hatred for Jesus Christ is insatiable. And since they can't get their hands on Him, they'll put their hands on us when they encounter Christ in us. And in that sense, Christ continues to suffer. Let me unpack that quickly. See, Paul's rejoicing here in his suffering. Because, you see, he understands, as he said to the Philippians, I want to fellowship with him in his suffering. I want to identify through my suffering for the sake of the gospel with the one who in that gospel suffered for me so that God would accept me on the basis of what his son had done. That's what Paul is driving at here. What he does not mean is that Christ's suffering on the cross was not enough or insufficient. We've already established what Jesus cried on the cross. Enough, done, finished, fully paid. Hebrews 7, 27, Hebrews 9, 26, Hebrews 10, 14, all established the fact that Jesus Christ offered himself once forever, and obtain for us eternal salvation. Jesus' death doesn't need to be repeated in a mass. Jesus' death doesn't need to be added to in penance 
or good works or religious activity. He offered a full and final and forever sacrifice for sin, right? Hebrews 9.26 tells us he appeared at the end of the age to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. There's a finality and completeness to the work of Christ on the cross. So when we read Colossians 1.26, it can't mean that Jesus' work on our behalf was incomplete. And it can't mean that Paul's suffering in some way is meritorious. There's no treasury of the saints where we take the merits of some of the great saints of church history and history and we add them to ourselves through prayers and penance so that we might eventually merit God's favor. And that's not what we're talking about. Here's what we mean. That Christ continues to suffer when Christians suffer for him. I think that's what Paul's at here. He says, you know, I rejoice in my sufferings for you. I do this for the sake of the body of Christ. And when I suffer as part of the body for the body, I'm filling up what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ as in I experience suffering because of him and he identifies with me in my suffering. In fact, Paul lived this on the other side of what I'm talking about. Remember, he was a persecutor. In Acts 9, Jesus stops him and saves him. But remember when Jesus stopped him, he said, Paul, Paul, why do you persecute me? Well, Jesus was in heaven. What do you mean persecute me? Well, you see, Christians make up the body of Christ. Christians are people who live in union with Jesus Christ by daily faith. And he identifies with us, and we identify with him. And when the world hates the church, and when society attacks God's people, they're persecuting him. And in that sense, he continues to suffer. He suffers with and alongside his people. I love Isaiah 63, verse 9. It says of God concerning the people of Israel, when they were afflicted, he was afflicted. And when people lay hands on you, my friend, for the sake of the gospel, when we think of our brothers and sisters this evening across the world who are looking down the barrel of a gun, who are in some cold, dank cell in North Korea, who are being chased by Islamic terrorists somewhere in Africa, they've got to believe this that should anyone lay a hand on them, they are slapping the very face of Christ. Because you see, he's in union with us and we're in union with him. And so as we close, Paul is saying, you know what, I rejoice in my suffering because it advances the church and it brings me closer to Christ. This is a jolting joy, isn't it? The world tells us to rejoice in our accomplishments, peace, health, wealth. But the gospel confronts this worldview that puts a premium on ease and comfort. And the gospel tells us to take up our cross and follow Christ. It's not only granted to us to believe in Him, but to suffer on His behalf and to find out a joy. We want to know Christ. 
in his suffering. We're not following a Christ whose sole responsibility it is to massage our ego, soothe our wounds, and not add to our suffering. Now, he told us to take up our cross and die daily. And in our dying and in our suffering, as we preach the gospel and live as disciples of Jesus Christ in a world with an insatiable hatred for Christ, we will advance the kingdom. See, his suffering is not just the content of our message. His suffering is the method of our mission. You know what? You and I, if we're going to advance the gospel, if we're going to disciple the nations, it will come at a cost. It will invariably come at a price. Didn't Paul say that in 2 Timothy 2, verse 10? I suffer and endure all things for the sake of the elect that they may obtain eternal salvation. What Paul is saying, you know what? If people are going to trust in the suffering Savior, I'm going to have to suffer to get that message to many. If we're going to take the gospel to the world behind walls and barriers, philosophical and political, it's going to cost us as the church. And by the way, persecution has started in the West, in Europe, in the United States. Those who hate the gospel are already in the halls of power, and they're flexing their muscle. And we're going to have to understand that Jesus' suffering as a man is over, and Jesus' suffering for man is complete, but Jesus' suffering from man continues through the suffering of the church. It's a suffering church that will spread the gospel. Read the book of Acts. Study the life of Paul. Let me finish with this story. For 15 years, I was on the board of trustees with Dr. John MacArthur and enjoyed every minute of it. In 2007, he brought a young woman from Tunisia to our board meeting. She'd grown up in an Islamic home, but had come to Christ in a wonderful way. Not all the details of her story were told to us, just for some aspects of security and safety. Her own father was a high government official in Tunisia. And she told us that one particular day, her uncle who was a Muslim cleric, arrived at the home to get her to recant, to abandon her faith in Jesus Christ. And they talked for a while, and then it got a little tense, and it got a little heated, especially on, on his part. And he lifted a kitchen chair, and he started beating the girl right down to the floor of the kitchen, continued to beat her. She said she was able to wrestle herself free and escape badly injured. Her family whisked her off to the United States for her own safety, and she enrolled at the Master's University. That was a day and a board meeting I'd never forget. And here's what she said as I close. I'll let her words be my closing words. She said this, while I lay on the kitchen floor shielding myself from the blows of my uncle, I at that moment realized he had a religion he would kill for but I had a Savior I would die for, spoken as a true Christian. See, I've got a Savior who died for me. And by faith in Him, God accepts me. And now I'm in union with Him. 
And in union with him, I'm in union with everyone else in union with him. When we make up the body of Christ, and the body of Christ preaches his gospel and lives his life and reminds the world who's got an insatiable hatred of him. And so they take it out on us since they can't take it out on him. But that's okay. We're going to love our enemies. And we're going to preach the gospel to the nations, whatever the cost, because we have a Savior worth dying for. Amen? Father, we thank you for this word, challenging, bracing. We hear the words of A.W. Tozer when he said, we must not embrace a Christianity in which Christ does all the dying. Oh Lord, we thank you for your death for us. And it's our privilege, should it happen to die for you, or if it's not physical death, we die daily. We live a lifestyle that furthers the gospel. We live a lifestyle of denial in a world that seeks to censor Christianity. Oh Lord, we thank you that your suffering as a man is over. We thank you that your suffering for man is complete. But we recognize your suffering from man is ongoing through the suffering of your church, the body of Christ. Lord, help us to be willing to fill up the afflictions of Christ, to bear his marks in our body. We pray for the persecuted church, that our brothers and sisters and their children who don't know what tomorrow can bring, may they revel in the gospel, treasure Christ, and be willing to suffer, count it a joy to suffer on his behalf. Because as we abound in the work of the Lord, our labor is not in vain. The suffering of this present age is not to be compared with the glory that awaits us. For we ask and pray these things in his name. Amen. Yes, amen. You're listening to Know the Truth, a message from Philip DeCourcy called The Suffering Continues. It's from the Easter series titled Always Abounding. And there's more to come in this series tomorrow, so be sure to tune in. If you'd like to replay today's message or visit the previous lesson, you'll find it online at ktt.org or on the KTT app or podcast. Just search for Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy. At Know the Truth, our mission is to share the gospel with a world in need of truth through clear and compelling Bible teaching. And one of the ways we do that is by providing helpful resources to our listeners. This month, we've hand-selected an encouraging book for our listeners titled, A Dozen Things God Did With Your Sin and Three Things He'll Never Do. This book explains the important difference between eternal union with God and experiential communion with Him, calling the reader to focus on the cross and remember that Christ has defeated our sins once and for all. When you give a generous one-time gift or sign up to give monthly as a Truth Ambassador, we'll send you a copy of this encouraging resource. As a listener's supportive ministry, it's your gifts that allow us to plan, produce, and distribute Know the Truth on the radio and internet, reaching men and women all over the country with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you are a vital part of this ministry. You can call 888-644-8811. Even easier, give online at ktt.org. Or write to us. Address your envelope to Know the Truth. Post Office Box 30250 Anaheim Hills, California, 92809. 
And if you haven't already, be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Just search for Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy and click like or follow. Well, I'm your host, Wayne Shepherd, and there's more encouraging Bible teaching from Philip DeCourcy coming up on tomorrow's broadcast. Join us for the first part of an Easter message titled Always Abounding, Thursday on Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Oh,